Welcome to our third episode of Cotton Specialist Corner. Today, it's kind of a special episode. We usually have Cotton Specialist on, and that's going to be the norm. But we thought it as a pretty timely opportunity to have on an entomologist talk about some early season insect pressure. I'm joined, as always, by Tyson Raper. Tyson, you want to introduce yourself again? Yeah, Cotton Specialist at the University of Tennessee. And I'm going to go ahead and steal the thunder here. I want to introduce Dr. Scott Stewart as the best entomologist in the Mid-South, hands down, not anything close, you know, Gus and Angus adjacent states just really don't even line up. So not sure what we're going to do. Scott just recently accepted a position as the director here at the West Tennessee Research and Education Center. And jokes aside, we're really going to miss him in that role. He's been a tremendous asset and mentor to me in this position. So I wanted to try to take advantage of his expertise before he forever left us and went into administration. So anyway, happy to have Scott joining us today on the call. You kind of stole my thunder because I would have said the same thing when I introduced myself. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Sounded funny. I think this is going to be a special episode with Scott Stewart. Sounds like one of those after school specials, but hopefully not. Special edition. Now, I know, Tyson, that was a big stretch to give your center director such a huge compliment. I don't know if the brown nosing came over via audio as much as it maybe should, but that certainly was a blue ribbon performance by Tyson. I'm sure you're going to get a great performance evaluation on the next round. We'll get right into the real topic at hand. And really, when we think about early season pests and cotton, thrips are the main ones that we see kind of belt-wide. So, Scott, you know, just your general, you know, we're talking about a whole region, a whole cotton belt here. So I know it's very difficult to give a general consensus or synopsis of the situation, but what are your big takeaways in terms of early season pressure, mainly from thrips? Yeah, and thrips are number one by far. There's other things occasionally deal with cutworms. And I'll mention some things about nematodes. They're not insects, but it certainly impacts maybe how you would manage thrips populations. I think the first take home I'd say is if you look at thrips in general across the belt, as you go towards the east, they're worse, I guess, is what I'm saying in the mid-south and the southeast than they are as you go further and further west. And it depends where you are in Texas, because Texas is a big state, so the pressure varies quite a bit. But I would say that the general rule of thumb is there's such a substantial, consistent threat in most of the belt that we just routinely automatically recommend preventative treatments. Those preventative treatments are typically either going to be seed treatment or inferral applications. I will tell you, we're in the northern end of the cotton belt. We have high thrift pressure a lot of years. Because of our cooler conditions, they're probably a bigger threat for us just because we don't have the ability to recover. And a lot of times we have other factors affecting our emergence, bad weather, cool weather, all those things set you up for thrips to cause damage. So you need to keep that in mind. You know, if you go to Australia and places like that, they don't worry about thrips very much. It's just not a big issue for them, but climate certainly impacts that. You know, I go to my test year in and year out. We've done work in the region, the Mid-South region in particular. And, you know, if you just do nothing for thrips control, on average, you're giving up 100 pounds of lint. 
Sometimes that means you're replanting and sometimes you're not having any effect at all. The problem is you don't really know when that's going to be a lot of times in advance and weather conditions can really interfere with it. And that's one of the reasons that we recommend these proactive preventative approaches. You know, I did some of my education in Georgia and then came to Texas and Oklahoma. And it's crazy, you know, the difference even halfway across the country in that thrips pressure. You know, we have pockets here. But like you said, as you move west, it became less of a concern. But obviously, we do still see them pop up. You did kind of mention, I kind of want to jump to something you said, you know, other things that slow down growth, your weather conditions. Another thing that we see sometimes is a lot of our herbicides that we apply normally early season, it's not a big deal. It's not a huge factor, but that herbicide injury may be combined with thrips pressure. I mean, do you see that being a bigger factor as we have more and more of these high tank mix partners going out? That's a great question. I actually had a student on that six, seven years ago, worked on looking at how herbicides affected thrips control and whether there was an interaction or not. And part of that stemmed from the emergence of Palmer pigweed and kind of reverting back to more pre-emergence herbicides. And we were seeing some failure issues that turned out to be mostly related to resistance to the neonic seed treatments developing. But there was no doubt in that data that some of the pre-emerge herbicides slowed down growth and actually even by themselves kind of mimicked thrips injury. And we would see what I would call worse thrips injury, where we had the combination of thrips injury and these pre-emergence herbicides. I don't think it really was necessarily thrips injury, but it still had that same appearance. And what we saw is if there was a problem or injury from the herbicide and thrips, they didn't really synergize each other, but they were definitely additive. So if you burned your cotton with the pre-emergence and then you had thrips injury, you'd see essentially double the impact something to consider for sure. And that's just the world we live in now. You know, we were kind of accustomed there for about a decade of spraying Roundup and seeing no pre-emergence injury at all. Most of the time, that injury is not going to be substantial. But again, those environments play a pretty big role in the impact, not only of the thrips, but of those pre-emergence herbicides. So, you know, we always say, and you know, you guys being cotton specialists know this, it seems like it's coming out of the ground trying to die. But if you can get it up for two or three weeks, it becomes really hard to kill. And those two or three weeks are that critical window for thrips control as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned seed treatments and control of thrips. So, you know, again, very general question, but what's out there in terms of options and what do you see, you know, working best? And do you have any concerns with what we have available? Great question again. And, you know, in Tennessee, I'm going to say 98% of the growers, if not more, are using imidacloprid as the base seed treatment. You know, we used to call that gaucho, but there's other alternative train names out there. But that's what the seed companies are providing. If you go to the retailer distributors, that's what they're providing is their base insecticide seed treatment. And it's holding on okay. Now, I mentioned already we had neonicotinoid resistance. That reared up about 2012, 2013. And it really hit thiamethoxam or cruiser worse. Imidacloprid's hung on a little bit better. I have some hypotheses for that, but I don't know if that's important. But the point is, it's still providing a reasonable level of protection. I don't think it's as good as it once was, and that's what my data would show. But generally, it's going to be good enough in most circumstances, except those extreme circumstances. 
Now, there are some add-on seed treatment components that are used sometimes. Acephate is one of them. It can be co-applied onto the seed. There's some products out there. For example, Bayer has a seed treatment called Aris. It has an active ingredient called biodicarb, and we've seen that improve control of thrips. Syngenta had one, Evicta, the Evicta component, which is really mostly included for nematodes, but it has some thrips activity too. And sometimes that'll bump your thrips control. So we've seen benefit to all those treatments. The one concern I have, since you mentioned concern, if you go in the Mid-South in particular, there's kind of a push in a lot of geographies to add acephate to the seed treatment. My counterparts in the Mid-Southern states have had pretty good success with that, and I haven't. And one of the reasons is, and I have a current student working on this, is we're starting to see pretty strong indication that we have resistance to acephate whether it's on the seed or as a foliar spray to control thrips. And we're kind of able to overcome it based on our recent data by increasing the rate, but it's not what it used to be. So that's something to keep in mind. Even in the Mid-South, there's a big difference from North to South in what we're seeing. That was kind of a phenomenon I observed in Tennessee first, and now it's kind of spreading out into some other geographies as well. So, you know, everybody's kind of waiting for this thrive on technology to hit the market. And we kind of assume it's going to sweep the market. And that's probably going to alleviate a lot of our concerns because that technology is so good at controlling thrips. Yeah. So on the seed treatment side, you know, in Oklahoma and other places, if you're dry land, you may be planting and you may not get that rapid emergence. There may not be moisture there. Does that seed treatment window of control, I guess, do we start that clock? When that seed hits the ground, you know, is that clock started when we have germination or, you know, how do you kind of gauge, you know, so if you've got a delayed emergence, do you need to be more sort of trigger happy on that overspray? That's exactly what I would say. If it takes 10 days for that crop to come out of the ground, you're not getting a whole lot out of that seed treatment. You definitely shorten. And those are those poor emergence conditions where we really get hammered by thrips. So, I often tell people you get about two weeks of good protection from those seed treatments. And if 10 days of those are underground, you can do the math. You know, it's not going to last very long when that seedling comes up. And one thing we've learned with all our data in the Mid-South, Southeast, really everywhere, if you're going to control thrips, if you really need to control thrips, that early application, that almost cotyledon, first true leaf stage is really the sweet spot. They can make things look bad after that, but really your biggest impact comes from those infestations that that first week after emergence. Yeah, so you know we know that conditions can certainly have an impact on our early season growth. In terms of thrips pressure and maybe how diligent we need to be scouting, obviously we need to be diligent regardless, but are there situations that we're doing or that maybe our neighbors have in terms of other crops around us or our planting dates that may, you know, influence the potential severity of thrips pressure? And we talked before we got on the air, sometimes you happen to be, you know, adjacent to a wheat field that's drying down and it's a good source of thrips that if your cotton's in a susceptible stage can move in. There's other things I think you need to think about and they're related to environment, but really another thing we mentioned prior to getting on the air was the time of planting. There's some very clear patterns with planting windows and how they coincide with when you peak thrips infestations are going to be. And, you know, year in and year out in Tennessee, if I plant about the 10th to 15th of May, our thrips populations here tend to peak at the end of the month. So 
everything coincides and it can be kind of a bad scenario where you get a lot of thrips when that cotton's in the susceptible stage. So this, I think I want to make a plug for this model that came out of North Carolina, this thrips forecast predictor. And I can't say it's been ground truth across the belt, but I'd say in the Southeast and the Mid-South, we have pretty good experience. And with that model, what you do is you essentially drop a pin on a map where my field is, you indicate your planting date, and it gives you a pretty good estimate of what stage your cotton is going to be in and what your thrips population is going to be. And then from that, it estimates your risk. And it's been pretty accurate for me. In fact, the last couple of years, we've had unusually late thrips infestations, and it's been my later plantings that really suffer. And sometimes you can kind of race your thrips. If you get your cotton planted early enough, you can kind of get through the window before your thrips populations really peak. So it's a pretty good model. I'd suggest people to take a look at it. We use that not to say don't use a seed treatment or don't use something in for to control thrips. We use it to make that decision of whether we need to be very aggressive on that foliar application, meaning, you know, we've got to make sure we make the application in a timely fashion. And again, it seems to work pretty well. Yeah, that's great information. That's a resource that I wasn't aware of, so I'm glad that you mentioned it. Tyson, have we left anything out of this conversation? It's been a lot of good information already. Yeah, so I appreciate Scott bringing up a lot of these points, the issues we've seen with acephate. You know, I had an opportunity to walk some of Scott's trials, and I've seen that firsthand. And same thing with the benefit of Thrive On. But one thing I did want to bring up, I thought was really interesting that we saw last year in your plot, Scott, that I think you've got a student working on this now the influence of plant population and thrips pressure. Can you comment on what y'all are seeing now? Yeah, thanks, Tyson. I'm going to circle back because I do want to mention some other options besides the seed treatments. But yeah, I do have a student, her name is Jessica Crop. She's getting a master's degree right now. I put her on a project, something I've observed working with one of my other colleagues. And what I observed is when we tend to get thin plant populations, our thrips injury is worse. And the data is pretty clear on that. And I think Tyson's seen it as well because we've toured my plots together. And of course, you talk about getting into those double whammy situations with like herbicide injury. Well, if you happen to have poor emergence conditions and thinner plant stands, this makes thrips infestations or injury even worse. And I'm not 100% sure why that's happening. Our data is not clear yet, but it's pretty interesting that as we reduce our plant stands, seeding rate, we're seeing more thrips injury. And of course, people are tending to do that because the price of seed is quite a bit higher than it used to be back in the old days. So it's just something to think about. And I also think it explains why when you start off bad, things tend to get worse. You really have to fight through that first window. It's an interesting phenomenon. My thought is that you have the same number of thrips on fewer plants. I'm not sure that's true or not, but it's a very clear pattern. The thing I wanted to circle back to was other than seed treatments, because I think it's pretty relevant. There are some infuro treatments you can use. Acephate's a labeled product that works pretty well in some geographies. It's not something I'd recommend in mine because it doesn't work well because of that acephate resistance. Imidacloprid can be sprayed infuro and frequently is, particularly in parts of the southeast. They like that and it works well. And then we got to mention aldicarb. Everybody used to call it Timic, but now it's AgLogic. Very good thrips control. Really has a big utility where you got reniform in that area. We don't have a lot of reniform or other nematodes root knot in our geography. So 
it's not a big driver for us. But you mentioned Georgia earlier in the conversation, I think. They use a lot of that in that geography, the Southeast. Yeah, no, absolutely. For me as an agronomist, to hear about all the differences seen in a fairly small area, you know, like the Mid-South, you know, how much differences you guys see just there between thrips control and things that work and things that don't work. So I'll just say that we appreciate you stooping down to hang out with us agronomists for an afternoon. We're glad that you accepted our invitation and short conversation, but learned a lot about a problem that affects a lot of cotton across the belt. So Scott, thanks again for your time and we really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. I'll go take a shower and brush my teeth real quick. <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank Cotton Incorporated for the support. And we're going to be found on, I believe, Tyson, this will be eventually found on Cotton Cultivated. Hopefully by the time this episode three airs, we're there. Thanks again to Keith Emerson for the music. And thank you all for listening. Uh-huh.